Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. It is the first official day of spring training. Pitchers and catchers have reported to West Palm Beach, Florida, and we cannot be more excited to kick off the 2023 season right here on the Masson All Access Podcast. Bobby Blanco, Amy Jens coming at you from our Masson Web Studio. Winter is over. Spring has finally sprung. I mean, I know it's mid-February, but it is... Finally time for baseball season to get underway. Amy, how are you feeling? I'm pumped. And that intro just pumped me up even more, Bobby. You came in with a lot of energy, too. Yeah. I mean, how could you not be? I know we'll talk a lot about expectations going into the season, but the day pitchers and catchers report is always an exciting, it's exciting day on no the, matter on the what. calendar. Yeah. No matter what there is to expect at spring trading, no matter you know how anticlimactic it might be, it's still exciting. It's the first time we see the pictures. Mark Zuckerman's down there uh, uh, covering for us on, on MassInSports.com, and he posted the pictures of the complex and the palm trees, and it, I'm, ex- I'm pumped. Yeah, and Mark, of course, give him a follow at Mark Zuckerman. Of course, follow him on the website and the Masson app as well. But he noted this morning that, you know, his on his morning column, basically saying, there are, expectations are low for the national team. Everyone knows that, but that doesn't mean you can't be excited. I mean, if you're not excited now, then yeah. how can you ever be excited throughout the course of the season? Like, it's everyone has hope. Everyone's 0-0 right now. You know, I, the Nationals aren't going to win a championship this year, and that's okay. But it's still exciting to start a new season, um, seeing some of the young faces, seeing some of the new guys start getting their first workouts. The Nationals will have their first workout of spring training later this afternoon as we are live on the Mass Nationals Facebook page and YouTube channel. They actually should be getting underway fairly soon since we are live right now um and of course don't forget if you miss any part of this podcast or any of our other off-season podcasts if you go check go check them out on apple podcast spotify google podcast stitcher soundcloud um recapping everything that the nationals did this off-season we're gonna have a full spring training preview later on in the episode um big storylines position battles we're looking forward to the list of non-roster invitees that was announced this morning so a full breakdown as spring training gets underway in West Palm Beach this afternoon. But unfortunately, Amy, we do have to start today's podcast with some sad news. While there is so much excitement down in West Palm Beach, the Nationals unfortunately announced two days ago on Monday the passing of a founding managing principal owner, Ted Lerner. Tributes have been coming in over the past couple of days. I was actually at the Capitals game last night at Capital One Arena. They had a nice tribute and moment of silence to Ted Lerner. Of course, both of those franchises have been very close over the years. Um, Ted is survived by his wife of 71 years, Annette Lerner, and his children, Mark D. Lerner, his wife, Judy, Deborah Lerner-Cohen, her husband, Edward, and Marla Lerner-Tannenbaum, her husband, Robert, nine grandchildren and 11 great-grandchildren. A life well-lived by Ted Lerner. Yeah, of course, our condolences go out to his Absolutely. family and friends. and um, But it just goes to show you, in 97 years, that's a long life. But just how far his reach was, the condolences are coming from across Major League Baseball, across the whole area, really across the country. And it just shows you how much he was able to accomplish, both in this area, through his whole life. The National said in a statement, it is with great sadness that we announced the passing of founding managing principal owner Theodore N. Lerner. The crowning achievement of his family business was bringing baseball back to the city he loved and with it 
bringing a championship home for the first time since 1924. He cherished the franchise and what it brought to his beloved hometown. Um, this is a guy that obviously is a, is a titan in the area, right? His real estate company, you know, owning the Nationals. But it's just crazy how much his life was intertwined in baseball. So many stories of how he used to walk from his home to Old Griffith Stadium to be an usher for mm -hmm. Senators games. He was born on the day uh, the Senators lost Game 7 of the World Series the year after winning its only franchise championship until 2019. Um, and, or I guess well, I should say Washington's only baseball championship until 2019. Um, and then, you know... I. Don't mean to pick nits here, but he didn't actually bring baseball back to to DC. Um, you know, MLB brought it here. He bought it from the club uh, from the league a year later. But you know, he was been the owner. He's been the Nationals' only owner since 2006, uh, handing down those day to day operations to his son Mark in 2018. But was still very much involved in the decision making process. Mm -hmm. Of course, accumulating in a World Series championship in 2019. Uh, this was a, and it's also funny that he, not funny, but like interesting that he was interested in buying the then Redskins in the '90s. Of course, Dan Snyder ended up buying them, but his true love was baseball, and like it's almost better that he didn't get that purchase because then he could eventually buy the Nationals once they were. In. I like to think that he didn't bring baseball back to DC because that's not accurate, but he did father it he did nurture it bring it up raise it um and become a champion that it was right i mean so su successful in developing i mean helped develop such a big part of so many things in this area you know Ty tyson's corner mm. dulles town center um but he probably is best known for being the owner of the nationals and it's that's probably in hit was in his mind his greatest accomplishment, you know, going from being a young fan and, and being an usher at Old Griffith Stadium to going to being the owner of the team, that probably has to be on the top of his list. From how old, 97 years, what a life lived. Um, I just, it's got to be crazy how much he saw this city grow over his lifetime. And you talk about this real estate empire too, but like he literally saw it and helped build this city. Tyson's Corner, you mentioned, you, you can go all the way to Montgomery County, Maryland, um, Wheaton Mall, yep. which was one at the time it was built one of the biggest malls in America. Um, White Flint Mall, that's still that property is still standing right now and it's looking to be developed. Uh, he just his fingerprint is all over this city, both figuratively and literally. Mm -hmm. And started that business on a small loan from right. his wife and was able to, to, to you know, build this. Whatever you want to call it, an incredible leg legacy. Um, but the Nationals probably being at the top of the list, and how he was so still involved in the. He's a quiet man. You, you didn't get a, hear a whole lot about you know his day to day actions, but sure. he was still so involved, directly involved with the Nationals. Made deals directly himself with Scott Boris. You know some of the biggest deals in Nationals history, like Jason Worth's contract and Max Scherzer. Um, so to be so directly involved uh, in the day to day is really cool. Um, and then he was philanthropic as well. I mean, he donated millions, him and his wife, to his his um, alma mater and George Washington University, Children's National Hospital. Um, really an accomplished life. Also, he was a, one of the founding members of the Holocaust Memorial Museum here in town. Um, uh, he's a member of the Washington Business Hall of Fame, the George W. University School of Business Sports Executives Hall of Fame, the Jewish Community Center of Greater Washington Sports Hall of Fame, and of course the Washington, D.C. Hall of Fame back in 2014. Um, a lot of awards, a lot of tributes to his 
philanthropic uh, adventures um, around the city. Um, just a great and and I really admired the way because you talk about how much he was the owner, right? You know, but he made it a family affair, right? For it's not like he was this all powerful, you know end-all be-all owner like you see so in so many other different i can think of a couple of other owners in town that are maybe <laughs> like that um but even in the sport too but you know we never before he even after but even before he gave up the day-to-day operations to mark he mm-hmm. you know it was always like well what are the learners going to do it was never well what is ted learner going to do right. what is the and I, I i you hear stories of the past couple of days of you know they made decisions like Signing Jason Worth, like extending Ryan Zimmerman, like signing a Max Scherzer as a family. It was a family. And his say carried the most weight, undoubtedly. He was the patriarch. But, you know, he and even after he was gone, or not gone, but he even after he stepped down, he still had a lot of say in it. And his, you know, opinion carried a lot of weight. But, you know, they would have family discussions and meetings about this. And it was more, it was the, the Lerner family owned the Nationals. It wasn't. Ted Lerner owned the Nationals. Right. And, and I really ab- admire the fact that he made it more of a family affair. Now, some of those decisions, did it work out better than others? Sure, that could be debated. But the fact that they did it as a family, I think, is very admirable. And look at how much just the area around Nats Park has been built up. I right. mean, he didn't fund Nats Park himself, but, you know, to get that stadium built, he was in a, a part of the decision-making process uh, when, the, when Nats Park was built. And then if you look at that area around Nats Park, incredible. you know, 20 years ago compared to now, it's incredible. And, you know, I think he's credited with a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, you I, you would think a lot of those buildings down there were be learner buildings. I don't think too many of them actually Mm-mm. are. But, you know, a lot of it can that, be attributed to the success of the Nationals. Right. That doesn't happen if you don't build Nats Park sure. A. And then, you know, the Nationals aren't as successful as they've been over the last decade. And now it's a place where a lot of people want to live. They go visit to visit restaurants and bars. They... Go take engagement photos like I did. Yeah. <laughs> they go get married like I know some people who've gotten married down there. Um, they build another athletic arena down the street. You don't have MLS soccer, professional women's soccer, some of the biggest college uh, lacrosse and soccer games played. The XFL soon be coming yep. back playing there. I mean, you don't have that without, of course, Nationals Park being chosen there, but also the success of the team and the large numbers of crowds that they would bring in throughout the course of the summer over years and years and years and building up those businesses and places to live and other adventures, of course, that and entertainment. So he, like I said, he has his fingerprint all over the city and has a very impressive legacy in that, from that standpoint. And luckily his legacy, you know, caught to all kind of come to a peak when the Nationals won, won the pennant on his 94th birthday and then obviously went on to win their first World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, exciting that he got to see that in all of his efforts, um, you know, through his whole life really come to, you know, that big reward. Mm -hmm. Mike Rizzo said in a statement, Mr. Lerner was an irreplaceable presence whose passing leaves a profound void in the Washington Nationals family. He was truly one of a kind. Those of us who had the privilege of working with Mr. Lerner observed a brilliant business mind and a uniquely thoughtful form of analysis. His confident, systematic approach to challenges provided me a lifelong lesson in persistence and perseverance. His influence on me was immeasurable, and I will always be grateful for the opportunities he afforded the entire Nationals organization. I send my sincere condolences to the entire Lerner family. 
we're going to hear from Davey Martinez later today. He's going to speak to the media down in West Palm Beach. I'm sure he'll have some mm-hmm. words to say about Ted Lerner. I'm sure he'll open up with a statement about the passing of Ted Lerner. And even the commissioner, Rob Manford, said something because, of course, they worked closely together, you know, once he became an owner um, and once he became commissioner that, you know, and, you know, Rob Manfred handed him the World Series trophy in yep. um, in Houston. Um, Ted Lerner was a proud product of Washington, D.C., an avid baseball fan and an extraordinary American success story. In 2006, this one-time usher at Griffith Stadium took ownership in the nation's capital and, in 2008, made Nationals Park a first-class destination, not to mention bringing in an all-star game. Um, the Nationals' era of winning baseball accumulated in the 2019 World Series championship, the first for baseball fans in the district since, 29, since 1924. Most importantly, the Nationals have always remained loyal to Ted's vision of unity, philanthropy, and civic pride in Washington. I have a great appreciation for Ted's impact on his hometown, on the game he loved. On behalf of Major League Baseball, I extend my deepest condolences to Ted's entire family, including Annette Lerner, Mark Lerner, and Judy Lincoln Lerner, Marlon Lerner Tannenbaum, and Robert Tannenbaum, and Deborah Lerner Conan, and Edward Cohen. Um, just Profound words from, you know, the leader of the sport and, of course, the general manager and the team itself because of the lasting legacy he had. Now, I do have a question. I mean, it is a very sad time, but, you know, when someone like this passes away, like someone who is such a, you know, powerful, anyone really, but a power, someone like this, who's a powerful icon in a city, the the term legacy gets tossed around a lot. And what we want to talk about their legacy. And I think this is a unique scenario, situation where, because of where the Nationals were in the process of potentially selling the team, his legacy is still not finished. It's almost incomplete, mm-hmm. right? So we're not going to have that definite, this is Ted Lerner's legacy as a national, as a businessman and like a real estate, mm-hmm. you know, yes, that's written in stone. But as a, a baseball owner, I don't think it's going to be completely done until we get a firm conclusion of whether or not the Nationals are going to sell. You know, if his son Mark decides, hey, I'm, I want to keep this team. I love this team. Um, I want to try to reinvest it into it and build it back up. Then we can close the book on Ted Lerner's legacy as an owner and be like, all right, he builds up into a contender, won a championship, and pass it along to his family. Mm-hmm. But if the Lerners end up selling... You know, and on, I think, unfortunately, it would kind of have a sour ending, not to speak ill of the dead, but I'm saying, like, he built up a, he, he built up a winner, a contender, won a championship, but then the pandemic hit, and it hit so many, and it was so devastating, and they just couldn't rebuild it back up, and unfortunately, end up having to sell the team. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, luckily, you're always going to remember Mr. Lerner is the man that you know, brought baseball back to D.C. and brought a championship back to D.C. I think he'll always be remembered that. Luckily, they won the World Series while he was alive. He got to see it. Um, So I think that that will always be his legacy. I do wonder if that his death, you know, impacts the family's decision on whether to sell or not to sell. Um, I don't think it'll change his legacy either way, no matter what happens, you know, moving forward with, with the Lerner family as owners. I just wonder more if this impacts their decision to sell, not to sell, you know, the state of the sale, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. Yeah, I mean, from what I've read in reports, we have heard that it, Mr. Lerner was in favor of selling the team or at least a part of the team. And you're right, now that he has passed, I wonder if – um, his wife or even Mark himself was going to maybe change course or continue on that path and be like, yeah, our our time owning this team is coming to a close. So that remains to be seen. That's, of course, going to be one of the dominating storylines 
of this spring training yeah. and this season, really, until we have a definitive answer from the learners. Well, yeah, because, I mean, Mr. Lerner is the one that hired Mike Rizzo as mm-hmm. assistant GM and eventually moved in filled, moved into the uh, GM role. Um, same thing with Davey Martinez, made the choice to pick up both of their options. You know, their their future, the future of the front office, all of that is kind of the budget of payroll is all kind of in limbo until it all gets sorted out. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, you mentioned Davey and and, and Mike. I, I think that's a big storyline too because I don't think that's going to be concluded until we have an answer. I, mm-hmm. I feel like the two of them have such a close working relationship, of course, winning a World Series and have such a close relationship with the Lerner family. I would imagine if the Lerner family continues – Owning the team, they're going to want both of those men back and helping guide this rebuild for the next year or so or however long it needs to be done in order to put together a winning franchise again. Um, But you're right. If another new owner comes in, I mean, that could be all changed Mm -hmm. in an instant. And it's quite possible that a new owner comes in and clears house, you know, isn't happy with the way things are trending at the moment. Sure. And, you know, kind of clears house and starts over with with their new people. So that'll be interesting to see. It's going to probably dominate a lot of the conversation um, through spring training and beyond until we until we know. Sure, sure. But in the meantime, on behalf of Amy and myself and everyone here at Masson, we extend our deepest condolences to the Lerner family for their loss earlier this week. I do think, though, like, how, like I talked about how much his life was so tied with baseball, I do think he would appreciate that Spring training starts two uh-huh. days later, and I think he would want us to talk baseball and celebrate the start of a new season. Um, one of the few times that he never spoke to the media, but throughout the course of the year, before his health started to decline, um, and way before the the pandemic, you, we would see Mr. Lerner in person. It would always be like opening day, but also the start of spring training. Mm-hmm. And he was always out there talking to players, talking to the coaches and stuff like that. You know, he would then, you know, kind of fade away and you wouldn't see him for a while again, maybe till opening day. But he did love the start of the new season. And, and the and you know, he helped build that amazing complex in West Palm Beach right. or invested in that, too, with along with the, or the Astros. So, yeah, I think he would appreciate the fact that, you know, in the, in, instead of mourning his loss, we're celebrating his life and celebrating the start of a new baseball season. I like that, Bobby. Yeah, All I right. Agree. So, so let's talk about let's it. talk about baseball. Pitchers and catchers reporting, like we mentioned, Mark Zuckerman is down in West Palm Beach covering the team. He's there every single day until I relieve him in a couple of weeks. But he's the one to follow for all of your updated Nationals needs. Um, MassInSports.com, the Masson app, at Mark Zuckerman, at Masson Nationals. That has you covered throughout this spring training and, of course, the regular season as well. So uh, before we get to the top storylines and maybe some of the position battles that I want to discuss to preview this spring training um, let's do a quick recap of the off season. I understand a lot of fans' frustrations with this off season. By no means did the Nationals spend a lot, make a lot of earth-shattering moves. You know, they weren't the Mets, the Phillies, or the Yankees, right? But they weren't expected to be. And dishing out off season grades, we're at that time of year now where a lot of outlets are dishing mm-hmm. out off season grades, and I, I think it's interesting. A couple I've seen that are very polarizing on the Nationals. And I wanted to hear what you think. I saw, I believe it was ESPN. I'm not calling them out, but I'm just saying this is what they gave them. Gave the Nationals a D grade for this offseason. And then another outlet, and I can't actually remember, I should have written it down, who it was. I believe it was MLB.com, but don't quote me on that. Gave them like a B, a solid B. And I think that's 
two ways of looking at it. One, yes, the Nationals didn't do a lot to improve at the major league level, understandably. But two, look at where this franchise is. They are going to be in their second full season in a rebuild and are potentially being sold. So spending was probably at a minimum to begin with. So I wonder, all things considered, how would you grade this Nationals? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned when we were just talking about, you know, the learners selling the team and how it's probably an unclear budget, pay, you know, payroll restrictions going into this off season. I think that's true, but I also don't think that was, you know, a guiding factor. I think we would have seen the same moves at the same price regardless of that. So I don't want to like act like it'd be different if they weren't selling and we had a strict budget and they would knew they could spend more money. I don't think that would change anything. I think that if they went out and signed any big free agents and spend a whole lot of money, you would give this an F for the off season mm. because that just doesn't make sense. And that would be a huge failure on their part. I think I would give them a solid B. You, okay. you can't give them, you know, an A because you know what really mattered, but they did fill the holes that they had to fill. They got talent for a cheap price. That'll give them some competitions going into spring training not super exciting, not a really bad offseason. I'd give them a B. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I, I see. And I, I think a lot of um, um, realistic minds mm-hmm. and fans would agree. Like, again, nothing too exciting. But they did fill out the needs that we thought laid out for them to begin the offseason, right? They got another outfielder in Corey Dickerson. They brought in... Um, a starting third baseman in Jamie Candelario, a starting first baseman in Dominic Smith to bump Joey Manessis presumably to the DH spot, and another piece for their rotation in Trevor Williams. We figured the bullpen was good, and all the other spots on the roster were pretty much set from the guys left over from last year, and they did all that. They made a top selection in the Rule 5 draft, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that all that considered, I think, I mean, yes, you don't have to be super ecstatic about those mm-hmm. moves, but, but I think you understand them. Yeah. And and knowing where this team is, I think you can be like, okay, those were... And I know people who are happy with those moves. I mean, like, understanding this is not going to be a big spending offseason. This is a team that's probably going to finish in last place again, but their focus is on, re, on, you know, developing their young players, developing the minor league farm system. So that's okay. Um, I, I, I fall in between those two grades I, I saw earlier. I, I'm giving them a solid C. Uh, I, I don't think they did enough to put make it give it that much of a b um Mm -hmm. i understand why because like i said they they did fill all the spots but you know they didn't fill all those spots with sure things right i mean i i I just mentioned kendallario as the starting third baseman that could change you know i I don't think that's any guarantee um i think dominic smith is probably a guarantee i don't think Corey dickerson is a guarantee who knows how productive he could be in the outfield maybe a young player outperforms him yadiel hernandez was included and the non-roster invitees, maybe he outperforms him and plays left field instead. So because there is no sure things, they're not like the top line free agents that are like, okay, these guys are 100% your starters. At least half of them are. I'm going to give him a C. Yeah. Yeah, my question is if if you grade them a, a D, what did you expect them to do? Like right. what could they have done to raise that grade other than, you know, spend more money on higher tier free agents and mm-hmm. for what does right. that really make sense was that is that what would raise their grade yeah i mean you i think you could make the argument that if they had done that 
you could also give them a D or an F. Like you're you're doing the wrong thing. Exactly. Right. Like you could like you shouldn't have done that. Like we should be focused elsewhere. Um, I think I thought a D was a little harsh, but I thought also a B was a little too a little, little too giving. Um, uh, I, I can't remember the writer, so I I'm, I won't mention his name. But like if you find the article on ESPN, I think they he only dished out one A. And okay. I can give a couple A minuses, but like one only okay. legit A. Um, and that was to the Mets. Okay. Yeah. And I think the Yankees got like an A minus. And he only he did only dish out one F. I did not see who that was. But um the Nationals ended up with a D. Okay, so. then maybe we'll take the D. Yeah. Not an F. But I mean I I I I think I think it was MLB again. I'm not quite sure, but I, you know, the Nationals were rated higher than teams like the Orioles. And that's a team that's supposed to contend mm-hmm. this year and 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 made a couple of major league signings to improve their and they're different in the sense that they're focusing a lot on the younger players too, but the younger players are already at the major league level. Exactly. Right. And they're looking to probably break through back into October and the postseason. So maybe that I mean, I guess it just kinda depends on what your your grading scale is, right? Yeah, you're grading a team that, you know, you would have maybe expected to do more and they didn't. Exactly. And you're grading the Nationals not expected to, to do a lot and they didn't. That so. is either expected to make the playoffs or at least be in competition for the playoffs. Right. You want to make moves to your big league roster that can get you over the hump or, yeah. you know, win that many more games and get you into that wild card spot or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it may be. So I gave a C, Amy gives a B. We're both content with either one, I think, mm-hmm. really, and kind of can see. So I, I don't, I'm curious what fans think. Leave yours in the comments on Facebook or on YouTube. Um, I, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this, these, these play out, which brings us to our third and final major topic, um, you know, the actual spring training preview. So top storylines heading into camp. Bark did a series over the weekend leading up to today. Mm-hmm of his top four storylines. I took a couple of them too, because obviously I think they're big one. The, the big one, of course, which we just touched on, so we don't talk about it too much, is the ownership question. Um, but moving on to like actual baseball, but I, I think the rotation has got to be just like it had been, you know, throughout much of Mike Rizzo's tenure as general manager, has to be the number one priority and, the you know, the number one storyline heading into the season because – that is going to be the one piece that determines how good this team is going to be. Yep, exactly. And it's young. They're young. Mm-hmm. We're going to get uh, in spring training our first real look at Mackenzie Gore. Yep. We're going to get to see Kate Cavalli. Is he back healthy and good to go, which he says he is. But, you know, we'll see um, what what adjustments Josiah Gray has made. Mm-hmm. Um, is Patrick Corbin going to bounce back at all? Um from the last two seasons. Um, and then are we going to see Steven Strasburg yeah. at all, you know, throwing the ball? <laughs> all of those together, right, make for a lot of storylines. I think it's interesting um, that this is, I think, correct me if you think differently, mm-hmm. the first spring training in a couple of years where the focus isn't on is Patrick Corbin going to get back to normal? Is Patrick Corbin going to be better than he was last year? I, I think. I quite honestly am not that concerned about that this year. I'm concerned about is Josiah Gray going to get better? Um, my main particular point about the rotation is Mackenzie Gore because we never saw him pitch in a Nationals uniform. He threw a couple bullpen sessions late in the season, but that was not open to the media. We didn't see him actually pick up and throw a ball in the Nationals uniform. So we'll have mm-hmm. that to see for the first time. He threw a, what, had a couple of um, rehab starts in Rochester, but very few eyes on that too. So seeing him in a Nationals uniform for the first time, I think is going to be very exciting. And we're going to get to see why the Nationals coveted him so much, why 
they held him in such high regard and went after him and wanted him included in that top trade as one of the top prospects, if not the top prospect, coming back from the Padres. Right. I mean, you're going from it, – it's a pitcher that wasn't even in your organization at this time last year or until the trade deadline, and you're going from that to not seeing him pitch at all in a Nationals uniform, like you said, to now he is a top three starter for yeah. your team. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of pressure, uh, but that's something you know to, be, to look forward to, and I agree with you that – I'm not I'm not worried about Patrick Corbin anymore. Mm. You know what the contract is. You know that the Nationals are going to ride it out. They're going to get what they get. If he can make his starts every five days, that's the most important thing is being durable, which thankfully, all other things aside, he has been. Mm-hmm. But you know what the product's going to be on the field. Yeah. You don't expect him to be make jumps this year because it, he just proved that he hasn't been able to. Yeah, I, I'm like, I don't need to spend this much time this spring training wondering is Patrick Corbin finally going to pitch to an ERA under five. Yeah. Like, I just don't don't think. And either way, I don't think it really matters all that much in the grand scheme of things because he's no longer part of the long-term future, right? It's mm-hmm. all about these other three guys. Um, Cavalli, you know, of course, we saw him very limited last year. He tore up AAA and then went on the injury list right after his major league debut before his second start. So, you know, what he's going to look like and having him pitch in spring training games and be a part of that rotation. It'll be interesting. Bat- you mentioned um, Mackenzie Core possibly be one of the top three guys. I'm wondering if he could be the top guy, period. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it's funny that Mark tweeted out that he actually changed his number from 50 to number one. And a lot of people commenting being like, well, cool. could he be the number one starter? That's a big question mark. You know, it's not just you traded Juan Soto and Josh Bell for a number three. He should be battling Kay Cavalli every day for the opening day start, mm-hmm. right? Like, don't you think it has to be between the three of them? Yeah. And, and I think they, if I think Cavalli and Gore both have a higher ceiling than Gray currently. And, and Josiah Gray's still a huge piece of your future, obviously. Right. But he has some big adjustments to make. Yeah. Um, still young, his fir- just pitching his first full season. But he has a lot of adjustments to make to get to the level that the Nationals need him to be. And I think maybe if you're a Nationals fan, you feel good. I mean, for a lot of the last five or so years, going into spring training has kind of been a, a competition for the number five starter spot. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, Signing Trevor Williams, he said he wants to start. The Nationals, I think, have pretty much committed to him being the number five starter. Right, and that's kind of fills out the rotation. So there's not so much a battle mm-hmm. for the rotation anymore, like you mentioned, because like, for so long we talked about it's been Joe Ross was in there, Eric Fetty, and both mm-hmm. fighting for that fifth spot. Now it's like we know. Corbin and probably Williams are going to fill out the back end of this rotation and it's kind of matter how they're going to match up these top three guys. Um, so yeah, that's going to be, and you know, we saw the, we talked about the numbers this off season. They were historically bad, this rotation. And if they are the same way again, again, this team is on going to be on pace to lose 107, 110, maybe more games. Mm-hmm. If they're going to be anywhere near the same record wise as they were last year or slightly better, it's going to come up, come from this rotation because we do believe that this offense is going to produce somehow. We saw it produce a little bit last year at the end of the season, even after the trade. They weren't necessarily the problem. It was the pitching staff, particularly the starters. Yeah, and the Nationals have never had this many young arms in their rotation. Yeah. That you're talking about, this rotation is the future. It was more like, you know, star-studded and it was a win-now um, yeah. built rotation so now this is the first time we're talking about these arms that are all projected to be a part of the future that there's kind of you know 
maybe a lot of pressure or maybe no pressure at all. Mm-hmm. I don't know kind of which way you go with that. But they do have to make significant improvements if they're going to improve their record. I mean, they all have pressure on them for different reasons, mm-hmm. right? I mean, Mackenzie Gore has pressure on him because he was one of the top guys in the one Soto trade. Keiko Valley has pressure because He's he been a was top a fr- prospect. Well, he was also a first round pick, and the Nationals mm-hmm. have struggled with first round picks over the past decade ish, mm-hmm. um, probably since Rendon, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then Josiah Gray has pressure because he was part of the Max Scherzer trade Turner trade a couple of years ago, but also hasn't shown that he can be frontline starter material just yet. So they all have different level. They all they all have pressure on them for different reasons. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know who I would say has the most. Maybe Gray just because he's been here a little longer yep. and it's I like that's you need to. All right, this step is the up. year, Brad, that we, we step up. Talking about like making your thirty starts if you're healthy and having an ERA way below four. But that'll be something to. Follow on throughout spring training, see the health of Mackenzie Gore, the health of Kate Cavalli. Health is the biggest question also. Are they, you know, stepping up and what adjustments did Josiah Gray make this offseason that will lead him to more success in 2023? Led the majors in home runs allowed, led the National League in walks last year. That produces a very high whip. Mm -hmm. So we're looking for (laughs) Josiah Gray to bring that down. Interesting to see for the first time when he talks to the media this in the next couple of days, I'm assuming, uh, what he says, what he's been working on this offseason and how he plans on I'm bringing those numbers down. Um, another storyline, this one isn't as much, I mean, it's important. And maybe I'm more specifically talking about the shortstop here, but how C.J. Abrams and Luis Garcia grow together. as yep. a, Because you're looking at these guys are going to be the middle infield duo for the foreseeable future. You're hoping, I mean, you're banking on C.J. Abrams being your shortstop of the future at this point, right? You're hoping that Luis Garcia continues to show that he can hit at the major league level. We saw him play better defense at second base, but also do it more consistently. He's very streaky over his young major league career. Can these two guys grow together, be solid defenders, how they adjust, especially with the new infield rules uh, in terms of the shift, and can they can Luis be more per- consistent at bat, mm-hmm. and can C.J. elevate his production at the yeah. at bat. Yeah, you were happy with the defense that you thought you were getting when the Nationals got C.J. Abrams. He grew a lot towards the end of the season. You saw those two click in the field. Luis Garcia making that move to second base a million times better than he was yes. at shortstop. They really clicked together towards the end of the season. I think you feel comfortable with them defensively up the middle. Mm-hmm. I think the bigger question for both of them is can they hit? And the Nationals really need them to make strides at the plate this year because they're going to, I mean, they're going to have to step up. They have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, we talked, we tried to make a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, a potential opening day lineup. And it's like, where do you put CJ? And they're probably the biggest questions. I mean, you're going to have Lane Thomas leading off. Can CJ get on base enough to be a number two sure. hitter? Can Luis Garcia show enough power or get on base enough to be a number three, four, five hitter mm-hmm. instead of batting eight or nine? Uh, I know, and, you know, Joey Manessis, Dominic Smith pro- probably providing, hopefully Caber Ruiz too, probably providing most of your power. But those guys, you're right, need to produce so that they can hit higher up in the lineup and not have to hit so low. And then that kind of throws out the rest of the order, right? That just makes it way harder for Davey Martinez on a nightly basis to put together a productive lineup. And then I think it's fair to ask the same question, you know, is that a lot of pressure on these young guys? Or... 
you know, having to make those significant strides or is it, you know, kind of no pressure at all where it's just like you're young, you can develop, you know, you have this year to figure things out. I think there was probably, you know, because of the trade status, there's going to be eyes on CJ Abrams, of course, but I think there's going to be more pressure on Louie because Mm -hmm. he is older. He has been, had more experience. And now we can say, all right, you're in your, the position you should be. There's no reason for you. Exactly. At this point, CJ, you see that the raw skills are there. The talent is there. The athleticism is there. He might just need to be able to grow and develop a little more. Still all the pressure coming from the fact that he was traded for Juan Soto. But I think there's a little less on the fact that, that, you know, we could, we saw flashes last year, right? You're hoping to see more flashes this year, especially at, at the plate. Mm-hmm. Um, but defensively, I think, you know, he's still, he's going to make rookie mistakes. I'm not going to say that he's going to go the entire season without making an error. I'm not going to say the same thing about Luis Garcia, right? But can he make the routine plays while also making some spectacular plays and limiting those errors? I think that's going to be probably the most quote unquote pressure that we're going to see put on CJ. And then, I mean, I guess speaking of, of pressure and another guy who's been around and I think it's time. This is it. Make or break. Do you think that's true for Victor Robles? Yeah, but you know, I'm kind of putting Victor in the, it, it has to be right. Cause we talked about this when he agreed to his contract status for this year and got an option, a team option for next year. Um, I, it has to be right. But I'm also kind of putting him in the Patrick Corbin. Corbin that's what in, I was right. Say. Yeah. Like, like it's like, for the first kind of year, about it. yeah, last year going into spring training, we're like, okay, Victor Robles, this is your year. You have to do something. And he did so defensively. Yep. Give him credit. He did. Absolutely. But the same story right. at the plate. So I think it's kind of, yeah, similar situation. He's going to be your starting center fielder. Yeah. It's set. The to. outfield's pretty much set now. Um, so I think there's less pressure than there has been before. And I think it's not really a storyline for the first time in three years. I think there's pressure on him personally, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're putting any more pressure. Because, like, short of, like, an all-star season, gold glove finalist, and receiving MVP votes, like... The book's he, written. Right. Yeah. He's, uh, he's just not going to be part of the... Mm-hmm. We're talking more about looking at James Wood, Robert Hassel III, Elijah Green coming up in the next couple of years instead of Victor Robles Manning center field in 2025, 2026. Mm-hmm. That's just not going to happen in my mind. So, like, it's more so... There's pressure on him so that he can continue his career probably elsewhere or even continue it here in 2024. But in the grand scheme of things, there's, I'm not putting any more pressure on him because I just don't think he's going to be part of the plan. Yeah, and speaking of Robert Hassel III, I was kind of surprised that he wasn't one of the non-roster invites to spring training. Yeah. You know, one of your top prospects, a young guy, could be at camp with Victor Robles, sure. the position he's going to be in one day. I was, you know, I get it. I mean... Coming back from injury... And Arizona Fall League, everyone's saying that he's probably going to be okay. What does that mean? Or he's going to be ready for spring mm-hmm. training. But you're right. I mean, why not have him in camp? And maybe it is Even if it's just for a couple days, you know? Sure, sure. I mean, he's going to be at the minor league side, but not with the major. Which, yeah, you're right. It is, it is interesting. And you see other teams, we talked about before we got on air, you know, like the Orioles are, are bringing last year's number – one mm-hmm. right overall pick Jackson Holiday to camp right. I mean even for just I mean he's not going to break camp with the team, but just for a couple of 18 days. Eighteen years old or nineteen years old, I guess he yeah. is now. Yeah, sure. And so why is probably your one of your top two pro- prospects overall, who's closest out of everybody that we just listed, even in limited action double A? Yeah, expecting to be some expect him to make crack the majors later this year at the end of this year at the end of this year, and ha- you're not going to invite him to spring training. That is interesting. I, mm-hmm. I wonder if it that's injury related, and that that's quite possible because like. I'd, 
that trans transitions into like one of my next topics is kid this I, I actually borrowed this from Mark too is do any of the non roster invitees make the team? So like we we can finish up on Robert Hassel. Like I I, I think yeah, it's yeah. injury. I, I would I would hope that we get an answer on that sometime soon. Whenever Davey speaks or Rizzo mm-hmm. speaks, um, but I would think that it's going to be a that's an injury related Inj- issue that he's not. But you're right; it does raise some eyebrows. The Nationals are, did invite 27 guys um, to Major League Camp who are not on the active current. Nah, I guess there's no active roster. I guess current 40 man roster. So like guys like uh, Jake Alou, um, uh Jackson Rutledge, those guys already are included because they're on the roster. Remember, those guys got put on the roster. Uh, to be protected from the Rule 5 draft. Um, but guys like we knew about... Sh- none of these real names are, are surprising. It's like guys like Sean Doolittle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know Matt Adams signed a minor league deal. Alex Colome. Um, and like Yadiel Hernandez. Um, Israel Pineda. Oh, no, he's on the roster. But other... It's it's Drew Miles. Billy Peralta. Billy Peralta. Mm-hmm. So not too much of a shocker. I, I, I mentioned that because I think Doolittle we mentioned is... Basically a shoe in as long as he's healthy and pitching pretty well. Uh, he'd have to pitch pretty terribly, I think, to not make this team, um, given the deal that they gave him. But I, I I would have to go back and check. I feel like the Nationals used to bring in way more than just 27 guys. Um, it's a pretty short list. Yeah. And Andres Machado's on this list, yep. too. Um, I, I was Especially surprised. position player-wise. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a short list. It's a lot of pitchers, which makes sense when you look at their off-season moves. But other than that, I mean, it's a short list. It's a short <laughs> list. Two catchers, only – I mean, Lucius Fox is included in only four in, – no, five infielders um, and five outfielders. And not a lot of names that, you know, are some of your top prospects that you, you know, you want to bring into sure. Major League Camp to get them some exposure, sure. comfortable with it there really aren't a whole lot of names on the list that fit in the, into that category. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's interesting that James Wood didn't get an invite too. I mean, you could put him, I mean, I get, I get your point. Robert Hassel's closer, but like, right. What's the harm in bringing him for exactly. the first week. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. I, I don't know. And it is interesting, but I, so here I, I also on the flip side, bringing 27 people to this camp who are not on the roster. I wonder if that is because they are focusing more on the minor league development side and they are hoping that some of these younger guys take the roster spots and not some of because before I feel like the Nationals will bring like 40 non roster mm-hmm. invitees because they're trying to figure out the best of the rest to patch together a winning team because they already have a solid foundation. They don't have that right now, but they want it to be filled with younger players that are currently in the farm system. That's why they're not bringing a lot of Yeah, that's, a, that's interesting. I wonder if that's the Yeah, that that's an interesting point. I mean, and when you look at this list, I guess one of my biggest questions or storylines to follow through spring training is the bullpen and a lot of these arms mm-hmm. and who has the best chance of filling out those two or three spots in the sure. back end of the bullpen, or maybe that's a position battle. I don't know either way, yeah. but there's a lot of names on this list. Yep. You know, does, does Colome make it? Does Sean, I mean, I guess Chad Sean Dula is pretty much a lock, but yeah. Um, Andres where Machado, where Willie does Peralta. Willie Peralta fit into the equation? Andres Machado. Um, Corey Abbott and Paul Espino both make it, mm-hmm. you know? And Espino is pitching in the World Baseball Classic. Right. Um, yeah, what do Jackson Tatro and Evan Lee do? Are they bullpen arms? or Because mm-hmm. they're non-roster invitees, too. They're included on this list. Or do they go back to the minor leagues and be, go back and stretch out of starters again? I think that's probably the most likely, especially with especially with Evan Lee, I would say. I would say especially with Tatro. I think because t- he, he was... 
a pretty yeah. Remember, he got the who got called up first? I think Evan Lee did actually. Tatro did, Tatro I think. Did? Yeah. Okay. To make that spot start, and then Evan Lee like the next two weeks later or something yeah, like that in yeah. uh, New York. Okay. So Tatro got the first one. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he would probably likely stay a starter. Evan Lee was already kind of making a transition to the bullpen before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious how they handle that. But yeah, there's, I mean, six or seven, I mean, Finnegan, Carl Edwards Jr., Hunter Harvey, um, Rosmo Ramirez, Dad Ward, I think you're mm-hmm. most likely is pretty much a lock in this bullpen. Um, Sean Doolittle, if you want to call him a lock, and then, you know, who fills out those last two, three spots. Yeah, I'm calling Do a lock until he is either hurt again or is just pitching terribly. Yeah. And I don't think I, as long as he stays healthy, I don't think the latter is very likely mm-hmm. if he's healthy. Um, and then if we're talking about position battles now too, like we're talking about, I mentioned earlier, the guys that they did bring in this off season who aren't necessarily locks to fill out this roster spot. I'm looking in the outfield, like I'm not sure Corey Dickerson will be the opening day left fielder, right? I mean, cause you got a guy like Yadiel Hernandez. We know how much Davey and Mike like this, the fact that he hits. Yeah. His defense sure isn't great, but neither is Corey Dickerson's at this point. Um, you've got guys on the roster like Stone Garrett, who they brought in on a major league deal, fighting for that position as well. You figure Lane Thomas will be the starter in right, Victor in left, so they're not in this equation. But I don't know. I mean, it's going to be interesting. I think it's just going to be interesting. A spot to keep an eye on that we, that we may have assumed like once Corey Dickerson was signed that he was going to be the starting left fielder, but now looking at it, being like, well, he is, I don't think it's a lock. Yeah. As far as starting positions, I think that's the only position that could possibly be up for grabs. And the, okay. Yeah. yeah backup yeah. infielder is going to be a competition. Same thing with backup outfielder is going to be a competition. But as your start opening day starting left fielder, I think that's fair to say that that's pretty much the only, okay. you know, open co- competition going into spring training. I kind of think it's like 80-20 that it's going to be Corey Dickerson. Uh, I definitely think he's a leg up for yeah. sure, but I got to prove that he's yeah. healthy and be productive. But like you mentioned, those other guys, Alex Call, Stone Alex Garrett, Colton, yep, are yep. they in competition for that uh, fourth outfielder spot? Mm-hmm. Or yep. do they have a real shot at being the starting left fielder? I'm going to say more. it's more of a matter of being the backup outfielder and it's going to be Corey Dickerson, but who yeah. knows? I mean, yeah. there's a lot of names on that list. Um, you mentioned Derek Hill. Yep. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree that I, Dickerson is probably the favorite, but I'm not saying that he is definitely going to beat. I, I could see Corey Dickerson maybe having a, a struggling injuries happen a lot. So it's like, I'm not counting on it. And there are already a handful of guys in camp that we know the nationals do favor, um, that they, they do like, um, that aren't going to cost them too much to bring up and start so it'll be interesting to see i mean i know you dished out a major league contract to Corey dickerson so that's probably why he gets a leg up but this is why you have these battles to begin with you mentioned no other roster battles i think this is lesser of less of a roster battle i guess is that the right way to phrase it um but third base i'm actually very curious i wrote that down as one of mine to keep an eye on because similar situation i think jamie candelario is likely to be the starter third baseman and I'm more curious, honestly, about Carter Keboom. I think at the end of this spring training, before opening day, kind of like Victor Robles maybe, but like in a different way, we're going to know yes or no on Carter Keboom. Yeah, when we're talking about, I think Jamer Candelario's your, your starting third yeah. baseman. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much a lock. $5 million, 
they're giving him. Yep. I think that's pretty much a lot coming in. Uh, defensively, whether that's a good thing or not, <laughs> it, well, we'll see. But when we're talking about backup infielders, pretty much everybody on the list are third basemen. I mean, you're going to have Ildemar Vargas back. Mm, yep. Um, but then at spring training, Carter Keeboom is going to get a shot. Um, Jake Alou is going to get yep. a shot. He put up impressive numbers in AAA at 323 with a 923 OPS. He has to be you know, given a shot to make the opening day roster. Um, but Carter Kibu is the biggest question. I don't know if he makes this roster. And if he doesn't, I think that's it. Yeah. I just think like he, time has passed. Your time has come and passed. Um, I, I, I agree. I, I think Candelario is pretty much a lock mm-hmm. to be the star. But I, I'm more so, um, I guess I'm more saying who, all right, can either, I'm looking at Carter Kibu. Can he, one, Maybe push Candelario, fight him for that spot, possibly. I think unlikely. Or two, can you hold off a Jake Alou to be the backup or the starting one at Rochester? You know, it's like if he can't do that, and I know he's coming off Tommy John, and I know he's not a pitcher, though, but I know it's a series. If he can't do that, I just think, all right, I think time has come and passed for Carter Keepum. I just, I'm, I think we'll know, have a definitive answer of whether or not Carter Keepum was part of this franchise's future before opening day. Yeah. A 197 career batting average at yeah. the major league level. Um, bad defensive numbers in 2021, his last season. Sure. Didn't play at all last year after having Tommy John surgery. I don't even know what he could do in spring training. There's nothing he can do, to, I think, to earn the starting spot. I think that's out of the question. Yeah. Whether it was Jamer Candelario or anybody. I don't think there's anything Carter Keaton to do. Unless, I mean, that would look dumb. I mean, I think that would really. Look. What well, can he and do also in Vargas? Yes. What can he do in spring training that would earn him that spot? I, agree. I don't think I there's don't anything. Think. But I also I mean, think it's almost what can he do in spring training to even earn a spot on this roster? Yeah. Unless you're just so hung up about, you know, you committed to him. He was a first round pick, and you just got to give it a go. Well, I, we've even heard like in the past, like uh, was it 2019? Wherever that he played. All the season, the whole season at Rochester mm-hmm. or AAA, because the Nationals wanted him to play every day, and there wasn't a path to him play every day. So, if that's why he doesn't make the roster, is because the Nationals want him starting at third base every day, and that's going to happen at AAA. Okay, fine, I guess. But that goes back to my point: of the, can he even Jake, hold off Jake Alou? Right, and Jake Alou tore it up. Right. I mean, he if he doesn't make this roster, he's going to be starting every day at AAA. Yeah. Now Carter Cuban has had. A really good. I think he was the one of, uh, at one point the Nationals minor league player of the year because of the numbers he put up at AAA. But I don't think they were very comparable to what Jake Alou just did. Even, oh, even. not even. Yeah. And why would you, after what Jake Alou did, he has a chance of cracking this major league roster? Why would you, you know, give Carter Keeboom that spot in everyday yeah. playing time over Jake Alou when you kind of know what Carter Keeboom was able to do at the major league level? So, that's what I'm, so yeah, I guess I'm so not, I agree. That's, my, that's, that's like, I just, I don't see his place anymore no right like if he doesn't make the roster he's not playing every day if he's on triple a i agree with you why would you start him over jake alou mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're thinking jake alou could be possibly a third baseman of the future so then what do you what do you do with him i mean what's the, what's his out. future <laughs> i don't you might not have one with this yeah. team. i mean honestly man that's why I, i'm looking at this we're gonna have an answer one way or the other before opening day, based on how the Nationals handle Carter Keeboom. I mean, what other, do you, do? you hope you can 
throw him in a, in a trade, but I mean, I mean he has to show something. What's he gonna get? What's you that you just have to throw him in with you know? Nothing. I mean, I can get anything back unless but, he shows something. But he has to play to do that. Yeah, and he might not. I don't know. You're right. I think the playing time is gonna be hard to come by for Carter Keboom. Which is, I mean, that's unfortunate. That's, that's tough. a it's tough. The uh, injuries, injuries, a total lack of development, mm-hmm. or yeah, yeah. As a first-round pick, too. Right. So that'll be something to follow along with. Is Carter Kibu able to show anything through spring training yep. to, to, to vouch for his future in this organization? Sure. Um, any other storylines or positions battles you're looking at that you want to I mention? think that's the biggest thing. I think who fills out the back end of this bullpen mm-hmm. and, you know, who makes those backup infielder and outfielder spots. Starting pitching, particularly the young guys, even more particularly Mackenzie Gore, uh, Starting left fielder and Carter Keeboom's future. What are we doing here? Mm-hmm. What's going to happen? Um, I think those are my biggest storylines and headlines and position battles going into this season. Also, middle of the infield, but I think that's going to be more of a progressive thing throughout the course of the season than like just spring training. Yeah, know? and I think we'll be curious to get you know injury updates on yep. you know some of our their top prospects. Uh, injury update on Steven Strasburg. Um, are we ever going to see him again? I mean, Davey Cole Martin- Henry uh, injury update yes. there. I mean, Cole, Davey Martinez is going to speak for the first time today. Like I said, that whole thing might just be injury updates. Mm-hmm. Like a major portion of his season opening press conference might just be like, how is Steven Strasburg? How's Cole Henry? How's Robert Hassel III? How's James Wood? Remember, he heard himself. How's Kate Cavalli? How's Jackson Tatro? Mackenzie Gore? Evan Lee? I mean, I almost named 10 guys in five seconds. Um, yep. And that's not even all of them. So it's like, it's going to be a lot of injury updates. That's that's maybe the biggest storyline to follow is health. Mm-hmm. Can anyone come out healthy of this and stay healthy enough for this season and to be a productive member of this team. We'll see. Fascinating stuff. Baseball is back. We're excited for it, if you can't tell. Uh, We did an hour podcast on the start of spring training. We really appreciate you guys tuning along, tuning in, tuning along, following along, and tuning in. How about that? Uh, Be sure to give us a follow on Twitter, at Bobby underscore Blanco, at Amy Jennings News. We'll have your Nats coverage throughout the course of spring training. And, of course, Mark Zuckerman is down in West Palm Beach. So if you're not following him, what are you doing? Be sure to tune into the website every single day. And on the Mass and Apple have, of course, content coming at you um, every single day, multiple times throughout the day. So be sure to check back, bookmark that. And also subscribe to the Mass and Nationals on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, so much stuff, so much content coming your way. We're really excited to bring it to you and start this 2023 season. Big thanks to Brendan Mortensen for producing this podcast behind the scenes. And we'll be back next week for our first official week of spring training podcast. Can't wait. We'll see you then.